We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. So hear now God's word, for he does indeed speak through it. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the precious truth that is in this passage of Scripture. We do thank you for the marvel of the incarnation of your Son, him coming to be with us, to be our Emmanuel, even our, our great Jesus, the one who would save us from our sins. And so, Father, as we reflect on his life this morning, would you instruct our hearts in uh, the, the great and marvelous things you have done through him? And would you encourage us to greater obedience in Christ Jesus? And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. There's no person more uh, needy, more dependent, more helpless than a newborn baby. Newborn baby can't walk, can't talk, can't feed itself, can't change its own diaper, pretty much can't do a whole lot of anything for itself. And yet, there's, it's not long, is it, before the infant becomes a toddler and all of a sudden we start to see revealed in the lives of these little children this radical quest for independence, uh, moving from total dependence to a, to a desire for total independence. I'm sure uh, each of you who has had children in your home have your own stories. The Belanger family certainly has its fair share of stories of this radical quest for independence. It's funny how these children who at one point were soothed to sleep by uh, the, the feeding that they received from their parents, soon when they become toddlers, become stubbornly opposed to any kind of food that they would get from their parents and prove their independence. Um, but we've also had other such stories. There was a, a, a common phrase in our household my do it, mommy. My do it. Uh, there, an absolute temper tantrum broke out over the unpardonable sin of one of the parents doing the unthinkable, flushing the toilet on, on behalf of the child. Uh, unpardonable and offensive. But probably the most memorable event was when one particular child, who will remain unnamed, uh, when this child was carried downstairs by a loving mother in utter defiance and independence, stomped upstairs only to be able to walk down the stairs by herself because she wanted to do it all by herself. And the, the reality is there's a certain amount of healthy independence that we expect, that we need to have out of our children, that we want out of our children, and yet isn't it true that we tend to take it too far we move from a desire for healthy independence to a desire for absolute independence, where we want no involvement from 
anyone or any, even from the Almighty God. And I think we could probably trace this back to the Garden of Eden, this, the very first thing that we heard um, uttered from the mouth of the tempter was, you don't need to listen to God. You will, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, you don't need him. You don't need what he provides. You can do it all by yourself. And so we, the reality is we are utterly dependent as individuals. As much as it might chafe against what we want, we want this independence, uh, we're utterly dependent. In fact, there's only one truly independent being, and that is the triune God of the universe, who has always been, who always exists, and is complete in and of himself. And so it's what's so remarkable is that the Lord Jesus Christ the very Son of God, chose to become like us in our dependence. He chose to take on human flesh and experience that same dependence that you and I feel and experience. And, and really throughout Scripture, there is this underlying question that seems to be there from the characters, the writers, everyone. And that question is this. Is God truly dependable? Is God truly dependable? And I think if we, as we consider this passage, what we'll see is that the Son of God became, came to be dependent like us, like you and me, to teach us about the dependability and the faithfulness of our God. And we'll see that Jesus learned this dependence. He took on this dependence through human uh, through the weakness of humanity, through the suffering that he endured, and also through his prayers. So the, the Son of um, God became a man, and he learned dependence through the weakness of humanity. And I'll just start by asking, have you ever marveled at the manner by which the Son of God came to be with us? I mean, really marveled at it. God is, God could do things however he chooses. And he's done things in many different ways. But have you marveled that he decided to come being conceived in the womb of a young woman and then born into a, this young family and then grow and experience life the way he did and I and he could come he could have come any way he could have come to redeem us in whatever way he 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 saw fit in fact throughout scripture God did appear to his people in a lot lots of different ways um, of course kids you know the story of certain inanimate objects like the burning bush God appeared in the burning bush there was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, God appeared in those ways. And there were even some times in the Old Testament where God appeared in what appeared uh, seemed to be the likeness of an adult male uh, when he appeared to Abram or Abraham. Um, and also when he wrestled with Jacob, he was out of nowhere, this man that was fully there. And yet 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, chose to become a baby and to grow and to be like us. Uh, The text here says that Jesus was uh, designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you don't know this, this character, Melchizedek, uh, Melchizedek uh, shows up in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, and he appears out of nowhere. Uh, Abraham, Abraham had just defeated some kings, and Melchizedek shows up, and Abraham gives a tithe to this Melchizedek. And the writer of Hebrews goes on, if you look over to Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews makes this point in 7 verse 3. It says, He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So this Melchizedek comes up, and, and Jesus is like Melchizedek, and yet he's very different from Melchizedek, isn't he? Because Jesus had a human mother. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So he had a mother. He uh, was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. God was his father and is his father. So he had a father, and he was um, conceived in the womb of Mary who was betrothed to Joseph, who was of the line of David. And so there was this elaborate and marvelous genealogy that was attributed to Jesus. So while Melchizedek was without father or mother or genealogy, the Lord Jesus was with father and mother and genealogy. And through his coming, becoming a human, we see incredible dependence, his taking on the dependency that comes with being part of humanity. Even while he, as the God of the universe, sustained and upheld the life of his mother Mary, he was protected and nourished and sustained in her womb in his embryonic form. He was dependent upon careful hands to receive him as he was born into this life. He was dependent upon nursing breasts to nourish him and to feed him as he was an infant. He was dependent upon the oxygen that we breathe to fill his tiny lungs as he screamed or as he made those baby sounds that we know when he slept and he dreamed. He was dependent upon his earthly father and his mother to carry him everywhere, to protect him, to feed him, to change his diaper. He was dependent in every way. And as he grew into a young child, he was dependent upon the Lord to provide for his parents, to provide all of their needs. But even more than that, he was dependent upon others to teach him his own word. He being the word of God and through, by his spirit, the Old Testament had come, the scriptures, God's word to his people, now subjected himself to being one who had to grow in the knowledge of his own word. He had to be taught by his own people 
the truth of who he was, the truth of the promises of God, the law of God, who the person of God. He had to learn who his father was through his own people. And he, he told his earthly parents, I must be in my father's house. He was dependent upon it for his very life. He needed to learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And not only that, but this little child who would become our great high priest, who even now is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and for me, he had to sit at the feet of of the teachers of the law to learn how to pray to his father. He had to learn these things. So he subjected himself to this dependence on his heavenly father and on the the people that he had created for his glory, just like you and I are dependent. Um, He was dependent because of human frailty, but also because of suffering, Our text says this, it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is, I think, one of the fabulous and mysterious truths of Scripture is that the immutable and unchangeable God, his son became a man and learned obedience the Son of God who rested in the bosom of the Heavenly Father from all eternity in perfect unity, in perfect love, in perfect perfection, learned obedience through suffering. He had to come and experience, subject himself to the life that we lived so that he would suffer. And through this classroom of suffering, he would learn the the perfection of obedience. And consider how that points to his dependence. Because how did he, what, did, what, what does it mean, what did it mean for him to learn obedience? And how was he dependent? Well, he had to be dependent upon a, him growing in an understanding of what obedience is. So he was dependent upon God's revealed law for his life in the midst of his suffering. What must I do? How must I live to be obedient? But also he needed to cling to God's promises. His own promises he was clinging to for the ability to persevere through this suffering that he experienced. And in fact, as he experienced this suffering from infancy to the cross, it was a constant uh, classroom of learning to deny himself and live in accordance with the way that uh, his father had called him to live. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He, He willingly endured this suffering because of the joy that was set before him. Well, how in the world did he know what that joy was? As a man, he learned it. He humbled himself under God's word to understand the joy that would be his, that was set before him. It was what was, had been breathed out by him. He now 
fed on it for his very life and his hope. And so he was dependent even in the midst of his suffering. But finally, he was dependent in his prayers. Um, kids pay, pay very special attention to what it says. It says that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Lord Jesus Christ prayed. Well, we know that, but think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had been with the Father from all eternity, spent his time on earth praying. If you remember when he was on the cross, uh, some of the people that were below him said, well, if you're really the Son of God, save yourself. Come down from there. And he really, he could have. He certainly had that power. He was the Son of God. He had said, uh, my father has a whole legion of angels ready to come and deliver me. Should I ask for it? And yet, he didn't. He entrusted himself, Peter says, to him who judges justly. He, he made himself dependent to his heavenly father. And what is prayer but submitting ourselves and acknowledging our dependence to our God. Um, scripture says he was heard because of his reverence. His reverence. So let me ask you, uh, in your prayers, would you say that reverence is a characteristic element of your prayers? And I will speak pointedly to our youth guys um, I don't think that our prayers are always very reverent. And I think that's uh, a mistake. We are called to reverence the Almighty God when we speak to Him. We are speaking to a holy God, and we are His creatures. And yet He's very gracious, and He's kind. But the Lord Jesus, He knew God perfectly, and He was God. <laughs> and yet He demonstrated perfect reverence. And he was heard because of his reverence. So our prayers must be reverent. Um, and what's interesting, it says that uh, he, was, he was heard, so he, he, he offered up these prayers with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. But you might be thinking, but wait, was he really heard? Did God really hear his prayers to save him from death? Because if you remember, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying with these great tears and sweat drops of blood. And he said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And he was arrested. And then he was crucified on the cross. And he died. He was arrested tried, crucified, and died. So did God hear his prayers? Or did it really matter? Did God really save him from death? But beloved, that is, this is the hope of, the hope that we cling to, that God did hear his prayers. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, in his humanity, had learned to pray you will not let your Holy One see decay. 
And he prayed that prayer to his father with reverence. And yet he said, I am willing to do what you have called me to do. And yet he clung to the hope that his God would save him from death. And on the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He rose from the dead as an answer, I believe we're to see, as an answer to his prayer, his reverent prayer of this one who would become our high priest. He clung to the, the surety of the faithfulness of our God. And God answered with faithfulness and raised him from the dead. He entrusted himself to God, and God was faithful. He made himself dependent, and God was dependable. And when we think about this, you know, you know, it's been said that prayer is the lifeblood of a Christian, and often we beat ourselves up about our prayer lives. That's not my intent uh, to to do that. But if there's any lifeblood in our prayers, it's only because of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the lifeblood of his faithful obedience. It was the lifeblood of his intimacy with his heavenly Father. Um, throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, you see evidence of his public prayers and his private prayers. He's no doubt prayed for guidance and protection, and for him to be sustained in the midst of the trials and the sufferings of his life. And the reality is that our God has given us that same gift, that prayer sustained the Lord Jesus Christ unto death and resurrection, and our God has given us that same gift. Um, and if you think about it, prayer is an outworking of our faithful dependence on our heavenly God. Because what is prayer? But it, it starts by recognizing that we have a need. We are dependent upon another and we can't satisfy that in and of ourselves. And there's faith that there is a God out there and that he welcomes prayer. He's, he's a God who hears but more than that, it's not just that he hears, but that he cares. He's interested. He wants to hear it. And, but even more than that, it's not just that he's interested, but that he's able to do something in response to that prayer. And prayer is not just some, it's, it's not just some action to an abstract being. It is entirely relational. It is a gift from our Heavenly Father to Talk with him as his children. And if you consider the fact that God's word is God speaking to us, and prayer is our opportunity to speak to God, that used hand in hand, it becomes a conversation. It becomes a way that we can converse with an invisible God. We can speak to him. We can read what he says. We can pray those words back to him. We can personalize those words. We can cling with reverence to the promises that he makes to us in those words. We can live by them. We can see what he calls to be 
his law, what he demands from his people. We can humble ourselves and confess those things even as we read them. We can be thankful for the precious gifts that he reveals that he has given to us as we consider our life experience. It's a, it's a, a dialogue the way that it's intended to be. And by God's spirit, it, it becomes a means for intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And this, friends, as I believe the, what characterized the life of our Savior Jesus Christ, a dependency on God's word to instruct him, to inform him, to encourage him, and prayer as a means of working out what God had promised in his word. And that gift that the Lord Jesus Christ had is, is a gift for you and for me. Scripture makes very clear that we have been given the mind of Christ. How does the mind of Christ come to us? By his, he reveals to us what he thinks. We, we have an opportunity to hear the voice of our Heavenly Father speak to us. And it moves beyond abstract stories or commands to personalized and directed words to his children. It's a way that we can cling and ask that our God would deliver us from evil and help us to persevere in the midst of the suffering that we experience. So why do we, why do we neglect it? Why do we have such a, tre- a treasure and yet we neglect it? How, how, what is it in us that makes us think that we can do it on our own, that we don't need our Heavenly Father to be with us, to guide us, and to perfect us. We we've need to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and that even though he is the Son of God and perfect, he needed this. So how could we be any less than that? Um, in addition to prayer, I think it's important for us that we learn dependence and obedience through suffering. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we live lives of suffering in all sorts of different ways, but it's through that suffering that we learn what it really means to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. It's where we see with new eyes what he really calls us to in the midst of the conflicts and the frustrations. It's where we um, grow in dependence on our God to give us strength in the midst of those things. And to be honest, I mean, it's often in the crucible of suffering that the idols of our hearts are exposed and our hearts are found wanting. And the Lord said to the Israelites after they wandered in the wilderness, he said, I tested you to see what was in your hearts. And the Lord does the same thing, I think, for us. We might profess, Lord, I I love you. But it's when we go through the crucible of testing that the things that we really love come to the fore. You know, God is so gracious to us and so kind because... The Lord tested his son 
as well. But his son wasn't found wanting. His son was found faithful. And he was found faithful for you. And because of the Lord Jesus' faithfulness, you can be forgiven. And you are forgiven of those things. And because of the Lord Jesus' faithfulness, you can grow in your faithfulness by his spirit. And so we're dependent on, we learn to grow in dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of suffering. It is something that God does for us. And also I think it's important for us to recognize that we are dependent on one another. Like, like I already said, the Lord Jesus Christ was the very word of God, and yet he subjected himself to other human beings to learn his, his, God's word, to, to learn to pray, to learn what was right. No doubt to learn to talk and to walk every aspect of him. And he subjected himself to that. And he calls us to that same thing. We are dependent on one another. We've talked about this as we work through the book of Ephesians, how God has put the church together as a body or as a building we are, where we are members one of another. That means that we uphold one another, we support one another, and we teach one another. So how critical is it for us to be dependable? If we are to depend on one another, we must be dependable. We must take on that dependable and faithful aspect of our Heavenly Father as God works through us to support one another. But at the same time, we must grow in our dependence on one another. We must lean on one another, not, not grow in independence, but actually grow toward one another. We ought to expect much from one another and demand that we use our gifts and our, uh, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit as God works through each one of us, should draw us even closer to one another. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We are a body. We are a family. And finally, as we consider our own dependence, I think just as the Lord Jesus Christ was dependent upon his Father to save him from death, so do we, obviously, we're dependent upon the Almighty God to find us worthy by his own grace, not from anything in us, to unite us to his Son. Our hope is based on God's faithfulness to his Son, Jesus Christ. Because God, Jesus clung to the hope that he would see life again, and God raised him from the dead. And that, and that alone is where our hope is. But we are dependent upon God to join us to Christ in that. We are dependent upon our God to, out of his sheer love for us, to adopt us as his own. We are dependent upon him to work in us that which is pleasing in his sight by the power of his spirit. And beloved, our hope and what we cling to is that one day, even though we might taste earthly death, as the Lord Jesus Christ did, that we will rise again and be with our God forever and ever in glory. And because 
our Father proved that, that he was faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope is that he will be faithful to us. And so we cling to that. We pray for that. We yearn for that because that's what our God promises to us. There is a, uh, um, a story in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 36. There's a narrative portion kind of in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And um, it tells a story of the king of Assyria and his army coming to invade Judah and attacking Jerusalem. And the king of Assyria sends his messenger, his envoy, to talk to Hezekiah. And it's basically like an undignified smack talking um, where he essentially asks this question to Hezekiah and all of the, all the people there. Where is your confidence? Where is your hope? On what are you depending? We've wiped out all the earthly nations. If you're trusting in Egypt, we're going to wipe you out. And... There's no other God that has delivered anyone out of the hand of the king of Assyria. So if you're trusting in God, you're wasting your time. So yield, surrender, and you will live. And Hezekiah hears this, and he takes this message, and he goes into the temple of the Lord, and he lays it out, and he prays, O Lord, God of heaven, they revile you. They say that you are nothing. Save us. And the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Fear not. I will deliver you. And beloved, that is your God. You have a God who hears and has put his name on you and has united you to his son and who loves you to eternity. And he says, Fear not. I will, I will deliver you. You are mine. I have bought you with a price. And beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, came to prove out this faithfulness. He became dependent to prove the absolute faithfulness of our God. Our God is truly dependable and worthy of our trust. Trust him depend in him, and live. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reveal your might and your love and your precious promises to us. Help us to cling to them. We know that we can only do that by your strength, by your spirit, and so we ask for your strength and your spirit to help us to do these things. We want to glorify you with the way that we live, with the way that Joy, because of what you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ, fills our hearts. And so would you give us that joy? Would you help us to live that way? And may you be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, our hymn of response is hymn number...